0: A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shots stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stalk. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight-pointers and the 12-ouncers. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24-pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hey, bird hunters. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, Grain Belt Premium Beer, Federal Ammunition, and by North Dakota Tourism. My guest today is Mike Lemke. Mike is a podcast listener from Illinois that recently sent us a story he titled Upland Eldorado. His story chronicles a three-week solo bird hunting adventure that he took out west, and it touches on his lifetime of chasing birds. In his story, Mike shared a lot of the details from his trip that included the decisions he made, why he made them, and the gear that he ultimately packed. It was an interesting and well-thought-out story, and he went so in-depth with it that I wanted to bring him on the show to dig further into what he learned and where his inspiration comes from, because I think it may provide good information for all of us. Did Mike find El Dorado? Stay tuned to find out. It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I am your host Brandon Morton as always is our producer. Hunting season is basically here. By the time this episode drops, we are going to be 1 day away from hunting season. And Brandon, I'm thinking about recording a bonus podcast just because I'm I'm so jacked up right now. I that'll be a, maybe this is an on-air production meeting, but I I want to do like I want to break down everything that I'm wearing, I'm packing in my vehicle, and then some guns, you name it. And I might grab a friend of mine that is a gear junkie, and maybe we'll just call it gear junkies. And we'll just break down literally everything, what we like, what we don't like, what we've learned, stuff like that. I think I'm going to try to do that yet this week. I will let you know. If I don't, I apologize for even bringing this up. Pretend like it never happened. (laughs) Okay. I have been out. I have been out and I have been running with Daisy. She's curled up next to me and she's dreaming about all the birds that she's been pointing. Oh my goodness. And I have not been to some of the places that our guests have been and telling us about all the birds, but it won't be long. And I will be traveling west and I am just almost too excited. I don't know if you can tell right now, but my first adventure on the calendar will be after Hungarian partridge in Alberta, Canada, and I cannot be more excited about the big wide open prairie. And then I'm going to be swinging into North Dakota and hunting in North Dakota as well. Our first two episodes of the season, we will be giving you a very in-depth review of what we're seeing out there, hopefully sharing some great stories. Uh, Before those episodes drop, we have a couple of veterinarians coming on. In the next couple weeks so you're going to get a lot of information about dogs dog care things to help your dogs make it through the season um nutrition all that good stuff we have just a lot of great guests lined up i'm excited about them i'm just i'm just in the mood if you can't tell right now and it's a great time of the year there's a lot to be thankful for there's a lot to look forward to um i appreciate all of the listeners of this podcast and lately You have been overwhelming me with amazing stories. I have a lot to share. And as I said at the top of this show, one of our listeners wrote in just a very in depth story and to the point that I wanted to continue this conversation. So that's what we're going to do today. Mike Lemke is our guest on the show today. Mike, we appreciate you making time to join us. Thank you so much for doing so. Where are you located today?
1: Uh, I live in Petersburg, Illinois, which is, uh, just a little bit, uh, Northwest of Springfield, the, the center of the state.
0: Okay. I have to ask your, your story is titled Upland El Dorado. What inspired you to write this story and send it to me?
1: Well, probably about two things. Uh, one was, um, the real idea of, of El Dorado, you know, the, the, the land of bounty and opportunity and, you know, kind of a, uh, a fable place. And, you know, that seemed like, you know, part, like you were talking about part of the excitement of, of finally getting to to head out West and hunt. But then I I think it was probably your podcast. I was listening to it. And as you just mentioned, you give an early season, uh, uh, podcast, and and I, I was heading out about third week of September last year, and <laughs> you're talking about all these uh, sharp tails and pheasants flying up, you know, everywhere, and and I'm going like, well, you know, I, I told the dogs we're going to go look for that place, <laughs> <You> know, whether <laughs> we find it or not. So, and I guess the last thing, uh, just in general, uh, you know, the reason I wrote this story, and it just kept coming into my mind is you know i you know i've been hunting for quite a few years but the 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 podcasts and different information i was coming across in this age of information was was so helpful um if nothing else it confirmed some things uh that i already had packed or was thinking about but you know really uh, helped to, to to make success, to, to to be honest. I mean, I would have traveled and, and walked a lot of land before finding even something mm. close to upland El Dorado. But, um, you know, I I, I had uh, good success and I, and I can't wait like you <laughs> to do it again.
0: Oh, I love it. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to write this. And I, I do want to say, and we'll get into this in your story here, but you sent this Uh, The same story to myself and to Nick Larson at the Birdshot Podcast. And the three of us have been emailing back and forth. We were going to try to have Nick join us on this show as well to to get his take on things. But it didn't work out schedule-wise, so we're going to try to have Nick on another time. But here's what I want to do. It's it's about an eight-page story, (laughs) single-spaced, and... Unless you think, eat it
1: most of the hour. Yeah, yeah, I was going
0: to say, I think it would take up almost our entire show, so I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read the first page and a half, because I think that's going to set the stage pretty well for what we're going to dig into. So grab a cup of coffee, Mike, sit back and listen to your own words being read to you. How's that sound?
1: <laughs> uh, it so, uh, well, it sounds good. I'm, I'm probably blushing already, but uh, go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Upland El Dorado. Funny, out of the more than 67,160 cups of coffee that I've had so far, the memory of three passed through my mind at the moment. Black coffee in a white styrofoam cup in a hospital waiting room, a thick porcelain cup warming cupped hands in the middle of the night in the Brown Bear Cafe in Juneau, Alaska, and this one, coffee in a dented travel mug made on a camp stove pushed in the crux between the front tire and open driver's side door to make a windscreen from the blasting dawn prairie storm that ran into and expelled my camp in the early morning October hours. Now, calmly, somewhat more warmly, I, or more correctly, we, given the company of my two tireless faithful dogs nested in kennels in the rear of the outback, sit in the vehicle rocking in the blustering wind, and assess the situation. We were at that point in time in northwestern North Dakota on the opening day of pheasant season, or so I thought. we had come off about two weeks of splendid upland hunting of sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge and walking in eastern Montana. I timed my trip so I could try pheasants in Montana over the opener, and we did all right on this part of the excursion as well. But the night before opening day, after scouting out and finding an RV park, I paid my tent fee and sat down to reread the regulations, for often, given the extensive nature of these documents, I missed something, and so too, here I did once more. After hearing so much positive talk about North Dakota and bird hunting, I was eager to explore and look forward to this part of the trip as a kind of upland kicker before the drive home. Hunting in general requires reading rules, and there are many and not necessarily the same from state to state. And so, in the last light of day in the skeleton of the peaceful RV park, I read the following. In accordance with NDCC 20.1-08-04.9, non-residents may not hunt any game during the first seven days of the pheasant season, on North Dakota Game and Fish Department Wildlife Management areas or on conservation plots areas. Hmm. That was my plan. And those were the places I had scouted. And I was going to head, and I was going to head for after acquiring, downloading a license in the morning. Well, now, months later, and reflecting on all this, I think written directive essentially meant. Go hunt on private, non-posted land, which given I do plan to try again, I need to confirm. But at the time and after working, talking, exploring, and actually hunting for weeks, the regulation hit me like the kid who heard about the class party and upon arrival was not allowed in. Of course, I was overthinking this, but was doing it in ethical terms. Thus, back to the trip. My assessment was this. I had three days scheduled before having to start the drive back. I could return to Montana. It had been wonderful hunting there. Weather-wise, we had mainly dry days with cool mornings and outstanding evenings, so no complaints. Dogs and myself remain in good, albeit worn, health and condition. Our luck in mostly all things, weather, health, injury, mishap, had held. So the conclusion for the first trip west for upland hunting, after years of trying to make the trip, and with 18 days of solo tent camping under our feet, it's time to head back. That is, as my father would have likely advised, quit while you're ahead. Now, I don't consider myself a quitter, but quit this particular trail is exactly what we did. But the thought of those days has not left me. In fact, I ranked that experience among the top 10 easily in my life. And what was gained? Did I not learn a lot on this adventure? About the area, my rig, gear, heading out on one's own. Has it occurred to me since that other lands in North Dakota were open to hunting to us dreaded non-residents on opening week? Do I not have gear and habits that I will use next time? And am I not already planning a next time? Well, sure. And here is a big part of the formula that I want to give credit. That is the outdoor journalists of the written and digital world. I feel the success of this trip was based on useful information greatly supplemented by the podcast journalists. And others that take the time to craft articles that cover upland hunting, hunting ethics, and related topics. I'm not hugely sav- <clears throat> I am not hugely savvy about social media yet, am relatively comfortable acquiring and filtering information from multiple sources. Thus, I am writing this summary in to response to what I hear at the end of nearly every podcast, which boils down to get in touch, send us feedback. I'd like to begin with a thank you to those who shared useful information. Responsible journalism, presentations, and product production takes time, organization, dedication, and energy, so I appreciate that greatly. Podcast programs featuring upland hunting content frequently, one, assess hunting gear, two, share tips and tricks, and three, ask for input about their show's content. My sources of information came primarily from the following, and I will not even try to attribute specific information to any one source for, as expect with many listeners, we have podcasts playing in the background as we prepare for a trip or get a leg up on chores so we can hit the road. The primary podcasts were in no particular order, Birdshot, The Flush, Bird Talk, Her Upland, Project Upland on the go, and The Hunt Quietly podcast. In my youth, I would have relied heavily on reading articles in outdoor life, field and stream, and sports afield, and cruise the web for information from those sources, as well as drop in on blogs and the like. On the road, I took in also audiobooks pertinent to the topic here, included Endless October, American Serengeti, and The Fair Chase. So here we go. Podcast information feed to me and feedback to the hosts. Let's begin with the essay title. Upland, El Dorado. This stems from a podcast in early September 2022 after the Sharptail opener where the host gave a report from Montana of a hunting site where Sharptails and pheasants were apparently flying up from everywhere. I don't know if the sky was black with birds, but it sounded pretty darn close. His utter disbelief in the bird numbers inspired me and explained this to my dogs, Rio and Ranger, and we agreed, as we often do. The name of this trip was Upland El Dorado. for Eldorado is the place of great richness and opportunity. All right, Mike, I made it a page and a half through the eight pages. <laughs> As you continue here, you break down your gear from your vehicle to the boots that you wear to the clothes, the vests, the dog collars, Everything. You left nothing unturned. Your guns, you have more dog stories, you have, I'm just flipping here, techniques about dangers, about water, about ethics, about location, and a really thoughtful discussion about where the hunting world is at as far as people and the land and the opportunities that we have. So with that, where would you like to start this conversation?
1: Boy, I I, I don't know. Um, Well, uh, I guess dogs. We like dogs. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, first off, I'll say, is is it strange to listen to your own story being read?
1: Yeah, well, kind of. Uh, I mean, you you did a really nice job. I, I was trying to remember that, that i had written all that um mm-hmm. but um yeah it's it's okay i mean i i i write you know usually science uh, it's, it's it's what i do but uh uh it, it it sounded good so uh thanks for that
0: yeah well i appreciate you taking the time to to craft such a well thought out article um you did tell us a little bit more about your story in this in the article you, you concluded with that your dog's names are Rio. Uh Thunder Pony. Yeah. Ranger, this land is your land, this land is my land.
1: Uh tell us a little bit about your dogs. Sure. Um well uh they're both Britney's and both from Naveen Kennels, uh here in Illinois. And um Rio's nickname came from basically that when he covers ground, he's heavy on his feet, but he uh, he is uh, uh, fast uh, as a as a pony so <laughs> he got that nickname early on but uh he was he, he was a, a, a and yeah, is a great dog he when he was a puppy i i'd watch him and he'd be running so fast i thought well you know with some puppies they're very visual and he was just covering ground but uh that dog even at high speed if he caught the the scent cone would lock up, you know, like a, like a laser. And just his nose was so incredible. He, he, he could move it, cover a lot of ground and do that even in the, the dense grasses we have around here. So that, that's where that, that came from. Um, Rangers, uh, my, my younger Brittany, they're, those two dogs are half brothers and um, Ranger. um, Well, I I got him kind of late. My, my first dog was in, in decline, and I didn't want to get a puppy, even though I, I'd seen him. Uh, I didn't want to get a puppy while my, my first dog, Scout, was, you know, uh, declining. So, but I finally did get him, and um, he, I thought he was maybe a little bit socially unadjusted or, or something. He, he, he runs and stops and runs and stops and just stands there, and he did that for, like, the first year. And... You know my my wife Maria would ask me well how, how's Ranger doing?" and I'd say well he's he's fun to hunt with i mean, he'd <laughs> try to always say something positive, but I had my doubts well, we we're out uh and he started to come come by uh, come to much more and and out west to tell you the truth he 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 hunted like a, a real veteran uh dog um just one short story we were um working a a coolie. And he was, he, you know, he would run, uh, and check out places. And a lot of times he would come and like, uh, run, you know, walk alongside me. And I thought, Oh, he must be getting tired. But what he was doing is he was looking for places where he had found birds before. And as soon as he saw a promising place, uh, he, he, he was all about it, uh, getting in there. And one day, um, he had stopped and I, you know, was wondering what he was doing. And, uh, I heard a a bit of a rustling and I, I, here's what I think he was doing. Not only was he using his nose, but he, uh, he was listening and watching and he, he, he ran right into a a sharp tail pointed it and we, we retrieved it. And, um, uh, and maybe this is common to a lot of dogs. I, I don't go to field trials and things like that. Although, they would be fascinating, but, um, uh, he, he was using all of his senses so that, that dog was, was pretty, uh, pretty good at that. So, um, we have a good team to, to keep doing it. We, we kind of hunt like a, uh, a, as a pack and, you know, um, keep eyes on each other and it, uh, it works out well. I really don't need to do much correction and we, we know each other's rhythms and, and have a lot of fun.
0: You, you mentioned that um, you, by listening to all of these different podcasts, ours and Nick's and, and the other podcasts that I read earlier, you sometimes feel like you're not, you're not training hard enough or you're not investing enough time into your dogs because if it isn't broke, don't fix it. You just kind of let their natural abilities lead them. And I I found that interesting because I, you know, I think everyone has a different relationship with their dogs and goals that they want to get out of them, but also just time. You know, it takes time to go out there and spend with dogs. And I know some people that have just been blessed to have dogs that pretty much like you right out of the box, they're excellent hunters. They don't take a lot of work like that. I wonder is maybe you just have been blessed with really good dogs that you haven't had to overcome some of the challenges that other people have faced. You feel
1: like that could be the case? Well, you know, blessing or good luck. I mean, you know, you, you, you never, uh, you never duck when that comes your way, but um, mm-hmm. uh, I think, um, well, I have two thoughts. One is that, um, you know, don't talk. Well, I think don't, don't talk too much to your dogs. They know what they're doing and, (laughs) and spend time with them. I mean, you know, we go, you know, every day, some days for long runs, but, uh, even just walking around the block, whatever, keep their mind in my case, I'm saying, talking about my dogs, you know, keep their mind active, you know, burn off some of that energy and you know, that time, you know, like with kids or friends or anything else you're going to develop a relationship and, and know each other pretty well and 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 know what to worry about and not to worry about but my second thought was this um I was struck I uh I was tent camping mostly but I I I would catch a hotel every once in a while and kind of clean up and so forth but um uh when the pheasant season opened in Montana the, these places were were packed and I was sitting in the parking lot and talking to a guy and this one fellow walks up and says, he was so frustrated with his dog, you know, oh, he's blowing through birds and he's doing this and doing that. And, uh, you know, we we said, well, does he do that when you're, when you're hunting, you know, back home? And he says, you know, he says, well, no, I I don't, I don't have time to spend with my dog. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I I think both of us, this other fellow that I'd met myself, probably said the same thing at the same time and said, <laughs> kind of looked away and said, "Well, you know, maybe you shouldn't have a dog if you can't spend any time with them. I mean, we're being a little bit harsh, but mm. you know, and just moments later I, I was sitting and another guy came up to me and asked me, hey, where does your dog hunt? Now, you know, I don't know this guy. I thought, well, that's kind of an odd question. I said, well, you know, what do you mean? He says, well, here's the deal. You know, I, I'm hunting with a friend. He sent his dog off to this trainer and he's supposed to be this great bird dog, but he follows this, this fellow, you know, right alongside of him, you know, and it's, <laughs> it, it seems to me the birds are out there. And I said, yeah, I said, yeah my dogs, they vary right. you know, out here in the prairie. If they go, you know, a hundred yards or more, I, I'm not worried, you know, but um, right. they, I had them closer in the woods or taller grass. And and he said, "Well, what do you think the deal is?" I said, "Well, I don't know, but I bet you ten bucks, if that dog was hunting with that trainer, he'd be out there. That you know, this dog has developed a relationship, and I'm guessing that dog really wants to, you know, live a harmonious life. And you know, if this guy is watching TV with his dog, his dog, and taking him on short walks, that's probably what what he knows. Now, like I say, I'm no trainer, but you know, you want to you want to hunt." dogs spend time with your dog is is what i would say um i I hear guys yelling all the time at their dog stuff your dog knows you know if if you're spending time and if they don't know (laughs) yelling at them on opening day isn't going to give them much of a clue (laughs) in my opinion so so th- right. those are some I, those are some dog
0: thoughts. Yeah, no, I think there there's a lot to touch on there we could dig into. I mean, really that relationship is important. The dog needs to understand its role in the pack. You are the pack leader. That hunter out in Montana that you were talking to is a pack leader and that dog most likely doesn't know its role, what it's supposed to do. So it just says, "All right, I'm going to stand right here because this is I know is not going to get me in trouble." Probably been yelled at maybe a few times, maybe has been corrected out there, but not knowing its role. You know, I think what you're doing, Mike, where you talk about spending all this time with your dogs, that is regular training. Regular training does not have to be going to a game farm and planting birds and testing your dog's ability to stop and stare at them or point them. That's not necessarily training. A dog knows the smell of a bird. I've been told this many times by a lot of reputable trainers, the best in the country. That dog knows what a bird smells like. It will not forget what a bird smells like. The role in the in the relationship that we have with our dogs is to lead them, to hold them accountable, to help them understand what we're seeking out of them. And if you say stop, they stop. If you say go, they go and they go in front of you. And And so that can happen at a dog park. That can happen at the beach. That can happen in your backyard, in the middle of town. That's where I work on a lot with my dog. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we're out in the field as well. And I'm working on taking things maybe to another level. I, 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 like to think so, but I want her to stand there and, until I say fetch, you know? And so that's what I'm working on with her as well. Um, but that's just things that her and I are, are spending time with. And so she knows the second I release her, we're here to hunt. Well, this is, this is business, <laughs> you know, we're working. Some of those yeah. dogs, they haven't had the opportunity to do that. Is that fair to the dog? No, is that reality for a lot of people in this country? Yes. I mean, it just, that's, that's reality. So there might be that one trip of the year to South Dakota that a lot of pheasant hunters take and their dog is hanging out with the family the rest of the year. And so the expectations about what that dog should do, or when we go into the field with our friends that have those dogs, just just know what's likely to come you know i mean you, you all have those friends every one of us here we have those friends and we know who they are uh you can send them a link to listen to this podcast if you want but the reality is those dogs um might not be as prepared as say your dog the
1: flush so fast it hardly seems real so vivid the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we change the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex-wad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal.
0: Now's a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called MeatGistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrasaurus dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like compucha add even more health benefits for our dogs learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at Nutrisourcepetfoods.com but I did find it Mike interesting you said that you you feel like guilty or something that you're not putting in the time <laughs> that some of the others that are on these podcasts regularly are doing Why do you still feel that way
1: well well yes and no I mean I don't guilty, but I do wonder, you know, should I be out there training? I mean, some of the, the, um, comments and advice given, uh, uh, recently has been something like, you know, uh, steady your dog, you know, uh, they're excited, you know, steady them before you release them and, and calm everybody down. That That's good advice. And, but anyway, um, I, I, I hear, um, podcasts where, you know, these, these trainers who are professionals are walking their dogs over teeter totters or through, you know, obstacle courses and stuff. And I think, well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if that's, you know, a, a deal for me. And then of course there's, there's field trials, you know, a whole different set of skills that it's often been intriguing. But so anyway, I, I just see so many or hear, you know, about so many, um, trainers doing so many things with dogs. And so I I do wonder, I don't know about Guilty, but you guys do a lot of different training of dogs. And (laughs) I I do wonder, well, maybe I should.
0: Oh, I, I think you're, I think you're doing a great job. I mean, obviously it's working for you. You know, when we talk about, you know, the teeter totter and some of these training tools that these professionals are using, it's really to get the dog into a mindset that we are working out there in the field together. And so these obstacles build this confidence that the dog can do all of these things with you, with your help together. And ultimately that translates into the field. You're out in the field together. I would highly recommend if people don't know what I'm talking about, just do a quick search online for The Method Dog Training. And that will give you a lot of information about that particular training style. I've watched it. I've seen it. My, I've gone through it. My wife has gone through it. It's amazing. It really is amazing to understand your dog and in their mindset and get them in the the right frame of mind to be a pack member and a hunting companion. Let's let's jump into your trip, um, Mike. Are you ready to to dig into this? Yes. Where, okay. So you you got motivate you got the motivation to head out to montana now you're in an suv you learned a little bit about your rig uh that you can't quite go where a lot of these big hunting trucks can go but you made it work explain your your hunting suv rig
1: well yeah i started that out you know I, i i worked you know as a seasonal for the blm and yeah, you know, one year uh, in 79, you know, worked in Eastern Montana out of Miles City and, and, you know, have gone out elk hunting. And, you know, so I, I know what trucks can do. And I, I was really commenting that, well, I, you know, I wish I had a a, a nice big four-wheeler, but I don't. So, uh, and, you know, most of the rigs you see are, are, are trucks, which make a lot of sense. Uh, I did see more SUVs and more Eastern uh, plates. Uh, after the pheasant opener. But so I was just commenting that you know your rig. You know, you, you hear a lot about, you know, an outback has all wheel driving and people, you see commercials where they're going up the side of mountains and all this stuff. You know, just kind of use some common sense. I mean, you know, can you go everywhere that a truck goes? No, you can't. You know, can you go a lot of places? Sure you know, just that, that was my point in that part of the the story. So, um, uh, well, you know, a a big part of the rig is taken up by kennels. So I I had to figure out, you know, space. So I started out by making a set of drawers, uh, got some plans from the uh, third coast carpenter out of Michigan. And that was my base for stuffing a lot of things in. And I added, uh, a side drawer for for the two uh, shotguns and ammo, and then you know really just packed my my other gear around that uh, dog food, and we we, we kept it kind of uh, economical. Uh, mm-hmm. Eating is you know I didn't eat out and and so forth. Uh, um, uh, either uh, took food in the cooler, or eventually we're, we're eating a wild game, which is always yeah. great. So absolutely. Um, that that was kind of the 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 point of that that story. You know, you, you know, everyone develops their own rig, and after the first day, you realize the ten percent of the stuff you're probably going to use, the other stuff you have just in case. But right, you know, we, we you know, uh, a, a lot of hunters are are field people, and they realize you know, you get better if your rig the more you you hunt with it. Sure, um,
0: you know, I it, you customize it to yourself. There, I assume you had a tent or was it one of those rigs that you put on the top of your vehicle to camp in oh. or what was your tent setup camping no setup. i
1: I've, I've looked at those i, I just envision myself catching air in the middle of the night uh, <laughs> i took a walk so i'm probably not going to go that way but no this is just a two-person rei tent and uh you know you you know you get into a rhythm uh, at, at night take care of your animals before you take care of yourself, set up camp, cook something. <laughs> I'd brought some books along, but I tell you, you know, after you're covering whatever it is, eight, ten miles or more, you're, you're probably ready to, to to hit the hay. So um, mm-hmm. it was a pretty simple rig. Uh, you know, I had a little butane cooker. Uh, one thing really came in handy was uh, one of these Dutch ovens, uh, r- really easy to cook up game or other things and, uh, not something I never would backpack with, but really was good for a car rig. Uh, that came in handy a lot. So
0: did, did you feel like you needed to have any power supply?
1: No, no, I, um, I really didn't. I mean, you know, I, I had, you know, propane for a lantern and you, you know, some, some campsites had electricity and so forth, but you know, some, some other public land, you know, I, I was, you know, you know what, what do you call it, dispersed, you know, uh, you know yep. without power. But no, I, I didn't think that. Uh, it was getting to be colder nights, but, you know, we had an extra sleeping bag. And I, I had a warm, you know, clothes for warm weather and clothes for, well, you know, it's getting to be October, uh, close to the Canadian border, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. be ready for that. So uh, we, we did fine without having hookups and all that stuff.
0: So as far as... Um Vehicle supplies was there anything that you would have done different after building out your kennels and and storage compartments in the back of your outback
1: you know i'm thinking about that now i mean there's you know i'm going to look through there's a few pieces of equipment you know that we really didn't use you know like i had an awning and stuff kind of thought i might be lounging around more (laughs) but i wanted to hunt so uh Mm. so there's a few pieces of equipment i'll probably leave back but the basic Like you're talking about your list. The basic list will have a little revision, but I'm pretty good with it. Uh, Some things I'm rethinking is, you know, running dogs here in central Illinois. In a way, you know, as far as a dog goes, it's kind of like running on carpet. You know, it's grass or woodland. The the uplands in Montana uh, eat up dog feet you know, no secret to anybody, but eat up dog feed a lot faster. So we're thinking about some other uh, equipment there. Um, I, I just got some some dog boots in, going to try that, have gotten various reports from other hunters, but give that a shot. Um, that's maybe it. There's a few other things I'm, I'm looking into. Uh, people do talk about uh, rattlesnakes. We were lucky not to run into any and but uh, I'm trying to trace down information on there's a, a vaccine to give ahead of time. And then my vet says, no, just go out there and talk to a vet. Uh, I'm trying to run that down. Uh, you know, so there's a few little things. But overall, I think we were pretty solid the first time through.
0: Good. Yeah, that, that's a very um, well-discussed topic among vets about the rattlesnake antivenom. And should you give it, should you not? Uh, I, f- I feel like the the answer depends on the vet. It really is interesting to me. And a lot of hunters want to know, what should you do? I, I'll bring it up again next week when we have a vet on the show and just get their thoughts on what they recommend for people. There's snake avoidance training is another topic that you laid out here as well. But let's we'll just move down the list of how you kind of... Um, Organize your story here. So uh, let's see. Tent camping is cheap, often free. Also, if a campground is full, managers often seem to find space for a car and tent with one manager riding me to a spot on an ATV explaining, set up your tent near that outhouse. You're less likely to get get run over in the night. That was helpful. (laughs) Practical advice that I appreciated. So you you didn't always camp in the prairie. You were in different campsites, it sounds like. Yeah. It's it's a very um efficient way to travel out there free. <laughs> it's not bad, right? How many nights yeah, did you camp versus stay in a in a lodge or a hotel?
1: Yeah, you know, the um you know if a campground is full, they, they, they will still find room for a tent, at least you know, almost always. The um so that was neat. And yeah, <laughs> the the parking by the uh out of the way uh story I had no idea that Montana had a a a, a major beet uh, uh, sugar beet harvest. So um, there was people and rigs and you know workers all over the place. So that's that's where that stemmed from. I just you know uh, should have looked at my Onyx maps closer. But um, (laughs) you know, and and then of course there's dispersed camping on BLM, BLM lands and state lands, and I looked at that several times, and you know, I'm certainly open to uh, advice on this, but I called, uh, uh, you know, the state and, and some people, and I said, okay, I realize." and I got the, the story on access, how far to park off the road, you know, don't start a fire through muffler, all, all that stuff, of course, just common sense stuff. But mm-hmm. then um, I said, well, you know, th- these lands all look like they're being grazed. And I, I, I would tend to think, you know, so if, if the question was: This is something I legally can do, but should I do it? You know, if I was a, a a rancher and I woke up in the morning and some guy and some dogs are camped on this land, I didn't know how that would go over. I, you know, um, you know, like they say that you know, it's it's legal, but is it common sense? So I'm still working through that. I've talked a little bit more to to, to people and. And, uh called up some professionals uh, uh, out there managers and so forth uh the story I'm hearing and if someone <laughs> wants to give me advice I'm open to it um is you know use common sense yes it could be conf- confrontational um and uh you know use your use your best judgment uh on on that so uh, I think i'll <laughs> i'm going to kind of roll that way this way too uh, um and see how that works out
0: yeah, and I think what you'll find people that go out there a WMA might be, or maybe not a WMA, but a, a state open to public hunting area might be grazed. It might be farmed. Yeah, yeah. There could be crops in it. It's interesting when you get out there, just what you'll what you'll put uh, your your boots on the ground. Um, let's keep moving. So choosing gear. And gear one can afford is a big job these days. There are many, many choices with much gear offering things simply not needed. The trick, if any, is like going to the store for food. Have a list and try not to shop when you are starving. In the case of hunting, that means last minute. Uh, So podcasts help us guide us through some of these choices. Here's what worked for me. Cap with a visor, neck bandana when you need something quick, heat control or emergency to wrap uh, as a wrap or muzzle. Uh, Long sleeved merino wool shirt. This was an excellent addition, enough warmth for early walking and wicking when the day starts to sear in. Long sleeve, did you say? Uh, Long sleeve shirt with pockets with optional fleece vest. Light pants. My go to pants were a first light corrugate pair I had gotten for elk hunting. But as someone on a podcast pointed out, paying big money for pants is not needed. Wrangler Cargo's at Walmart go for around $20, and these were my backup. Socks, you preferred Canetrek liners mostly, and Danner boots. It's hard to beat Danner. And as I learned in the UP of Michigan, get two pairs of any boot, any maker model. I got to ask. Oh, and they said alternate their use, and they last longer than twice as much. Now, this is funny. On the email that Nick and I... Uh, the three of us had back and forth. That was a topic of discussion. (laughs) If you wear two boots, they will last more than twice as long. Explain yourself, please.
1: Uh, Well, okay. Well, you know, let's say you have one one pair of boots and, you know, they last, let's just say two years. I I don't know. More or less, it's up to you. But um, so, you know, there's that. And then if you bought, go ahead and buy another pair of boots and last you two years, that's four years. The, the, the advice that was given me is, is buy two pairs of boots. Now, they can be different. They don't have to be the same kind or, or you know basically alternate footwear. So in, in my example, then the, that those uh, sets of boots that you're wearing, instead of going four years, might last five years do I have data on this? Can I substantiate? No, this is something uh, uh, a fellow that um, did did outfitting and and so forth in the UP, uh, people he sent out to IRL for research and so forth. He, He told me this. And I don't know, my sense is, is that, you know, one thing, it's nice to have two broken in pairs. So it's nice to have an alternate uh, but the other thing is, is that those seams and the insoles and so forth, uh, it, you know, in the inside get a, get a chance to to recover and and air out better than if you're wearing your boots every day. Am I a boot expert? <laughs> no, I'm not, Travis. It's just something a guy told me, and I was just passing it along, and it, and it seems to make sense to me. I, I, it, I wore... it really
0: does. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> of, of, of all the stuff you laid out, Nick and I both were like. Two pairs will last more than twice as long. But if it means recovery, if it means they're drying out, if it means that they're not going back on your feet wet from sweat or water or muck or whatever it might be, um, I guess maybe that does make sense. you know. And I think it's an important topic. And maybe we touched on this one last week about oiling your boots and conditioning them and keeping them in good shape to last longer. I am guilty of not doing that. I talked about the wing... The wing shooters, the Irish Setter wing shooters, oh, yeah. I love the boots. They're so comfortable. But I do I do burn through a lot of boots. I put on a lot of miles, so I think it's warranted. It's yeah. just that I don't condition them. I don't take as good of care of them as I probably should because, let's be honest, I'm out hunting. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, I, have a, sure. I get home, I got four kids, I got a lot going on. I got to take care of the dog before myself, all that stuff. And I go through a lot. But I think, you know, taking better care of my boots. I will say this. I just ordered a bunch of socks. I'm going to pass along, like you talk about these, you know, like the pants, $20 pants work just fine. Agreed with that. I have a bunch of those and I I couldn't agree more with that. Um, but my socks, uh, the Merino wool socks, Sportsman's Guide has these packs of them that you can buy for like 15 bucks or 12 bucks or something like that. Oh my goodness. Your feet will thank you. Your body will thank you. Order some of those socks. They are worth every cent and they're not expensive it is the best purchase i get you know like when you put socks on for the first time it's like the best it's the best (laughs) (laughs) when you were kids if you got socks for christmas you're like this is terrible gift now if my wife gives me socks i'm like yes bring them in because the first time you put socks on anyway those sportsman guide merino wool socks are so they have like this nano glide they call it i don't know i'm not a sock expert just like you're not a boot expert all i know is my feet (laughs) love them they breathe and if you put on a lot of miles, you will thank me. Buy a pack of socks to take on your hunting trip.
1: Okay, well, so well now we have another addition. Um, but it sounds like we you might need to get a a, a boot expert on a, on a podcast. He might say the two pair thing is a bunch of malarkey. But it'd be, <laughs> be good to to get folks folks who you know see a lot of repairs. They might have something to say. But okay, sure.
0: uh, Well, I, I have a buddy that he insists that if you find something that you love order a lifetime supply of it because it won't be long and they will change something about it and it'll yeah. never be as good as what you like. So he'll he'll have like 15 pairs of a boot that he likes because he wants it to last forever. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream their trailers are constructed out of lightweight strong corrosion resistant aluminum and they are 100 percent maintenance free plus they come with an industry best five-year warranty visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you are using your own Maps, Apps, Waze, or Google Maps, except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones, too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand, and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Okay, moving along on hunting vests. You so did you did you come up with like a budget that you wanted to stay under, or did you keep it, a running total of how much you spent on this three-week expedition? By chance,
1: yeah, I I I wrote down everything on the expense, and I um. It, and I I don't know what it was per day. Um, you know, gas was up last year, but um, I I I, th- I think I kept it around the hundred hundred and fifty dollar mark, which sounds like a lot, but um, uh, I have to ch- I have to check uh, the, those things. But I did keep a, a running total as far as the vest goes. Well, you know, I I, I have a nice vest and I but I was I was taken by these strap vests for me the you know taking care of heat and and you know you're going long distances you try to lighten up your load a little bit. So um oh well, my my goodness, uh <laughs> there are so many out there with such uh different price ranges. So I, I I I just you know it's like fly vests, you know, they they started out Lee Wolf's Know, had a, had a, an old shirt he cut the sleeves off or his wife did i forget they sewed on some extra pockets and <laughs> that worked fine you know mm-hmm. for a world-class fly fisherman um i started thinking about the hunting vest what do i need well i need to carry a, a lot of water i need some shells probably this uh, shell pockets now are so big you can carry a <laughs> half a case of shells with you um and but i need to have a, a first aid kit on in, in there and maybe, you know, uh, an extra, you know, garment of some sort depends upon the weather. So you, know, you can break it down. I I, I know people, you know, ha- I, you know, have these great vests and they're probably, probably worth every, every penny. So I'm not going against that. But I just thought, what do I need? And does it need to be, you know, terribly fancy? No, and that kind of brought the price down. And then I started looking around. Once I, I, I saw a model I liked, and um, actually picked it up online. Uh, uh, came out of Iowa. It had it was for like a. They bought these vests for a, a youth group, and they had some extra ones, and I, I was good to go. What did he sell it to you for? Um, it was under a hundred bucks. I, I don't remember. You know, I, I think knew this this vest was probably in that area, and I probably maybe it was
0: $80, uh, something like that. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, you said that, um, let's see handy items in the front pockets for which included quick access to a hemostat tape, Neosporin, Neosporin, super glue, and then the ability to strap your Garmin alpha 100 to the right strap. Um, you made
1: your own spring retractor. Is that right? Um, no, here, here's the deal on that. I, I mean, for, you know, As all fuel, well, I don't know about all, but many fuel people tell you, if you want to be coming back with it, strap it or zip it (laughs) onto you Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, uh, know, things just have uh, a habit of being lost in the wild. Uh, So um, with my controller for the uh, collars, I wanted to have, I didn't want to be walking around with it, but, uh, you know, in my hand. Mm -hmm. So um, I I had it in a carrier um, uh, from dan's supporting those guys in ohio and um and then i you get these little retractors that you put in your keys you know they have a you know they have a little cable and they pull out and when you let it go it's you know it, it snaps back i put that on there also not only to keep the the controller under my my right arm you know so it's just not flopping around but it did come in handy the uh, snaps on my uh uh, on my other device. So one day got unsnapped and if I didn't have that, that second t- <laughs> tie in, I, I would have lost a, a, a key component to the, um, to the hunt. So yeah. that, that's the, that was going on there, Travis. It wasn't really rocket science, but you know, just kind sure. of, no, what I, mean, I, did.
0: I, I like the way you break it down here and, and discuss, you know, your thought process on these items because you kind of just customize it to yourself to work. And I think that's sure. what a lot of the 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 vests today do is they give you that option but you know you can do that yourself you know a lot of a lot of this stuff
1: was was pretty simple but you know i mean it's nice to have a lot of stuff but the more stuff you have or the more pockets to have Two things, Mm -hmm. at least for me, I I forget which pocket I have things in. And secondly, uh, you put more stuff in it. So I just try to cut to the quick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, minimize. But you also had items for pain relief, muscle, bone stabilization, a good wire cutters, muzzle, and a leash. So I do carry good wire cutters with. I do carry Mm -hmm. a leash. One thing I don't carry that I probably should is something for muscle or bone stabilization if something happens. And it it has happened to me. I've seen it in the field or a broken leg and. In hindsight, yeah, maybe we would have been better off to wrap that leg and say we just race it back to the car. But I feel like my, my thought would kick in and I'd say I'm going to grab a stick, even though on the prairie that might not be realistic. So maybe I need, before I head to Alberta, add something in like that.
1: Uh, did you find it yeah. useful? Yeah, you know, y- you know... um, plan for the worst, hope for the best. I, I mean, you can't carry everything with you. Um, things I had handy, hemostat to pull cactus birds, um, you know, super glue if there was a, a deep cut, did not use, need it, but I uh, had, had heard about that. And uh, then... Like I say, you know, a bandana comes in handy if you got to wrap something. But those are in front pockets. I, uh, if I need things fast, my Leatherman, that kind of thing. In the back, I had a small dog first aid and, and human first aid kit. And like I, and like you mentioned, you know, what do you want to take care of? Well, you want to take care of pain. Your, your best friend who's injured your dog all of a sudden won't be your best friend if something you know, happened to him. So you want to stabilize the the, the muzzle. This is my thinking. Um, and uh, think about if I have to carry a 50-pound dog back, uh, you know, across the prairie, uh, you know, am, am I ready for that kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the, the car, yeah, I, I have a fairly extensive emergency kit, you know, uh, all kinds of things. Um not really the stuff. I mean, I supplement, uh, I bought a basic first aid and then went from there. And to, to do that, there's good advice on the web all, all around on that. But, um, yeah, um, you could probably stabilize a leg with, you know, you know, some, something, a uh, uh, um, buckthorn or whatever you have in Alberta, there'll be probably something if that's what you're thinking about. Sure. Yeah. Or just roll, just rolling up something and, you know, a a piece of cloth or uh, a strap or something. uh, You probably have things on you. You can have a MacGyver moment and and it'll work.
0: And I think MacGyver is a great way to uh, go into a lot of these hunts. You sometimes just have to make it happen on the fly and expect that. Use your common sense. I will say next week, our podcast, I believe, is going to be with a veterinarian that has come out with her own pack for uh, this exact discussion and we're going to break that down what goes in there and why um, saline eye wash is something that i use regularly right now yeah. you know i come out of the field and i check i don't know if a lot of people do this but you probably should when you're done on a run put your dog up on the tailgate or whatever and rub them down check every their paws check their eyes check everywhere on their body to make sure that there's no issues wash out the eyes i do that regularly Uh, highly recommend doing that. Let's switch to guns here. You bring about, I'm just going to, just for time's sake, we're going to try to move a little quicker here. We loaded, you loaded about anticipating about a box a day, but you did break, break down ballistics and, um, a lot of the different, you know, 1500 feet per second, 1200 feet per second and patterning your gun. That's one thing that I, I just really think that very few bird hunters do is pattern their shotgun. What did you learn when you patterned your gun?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. It's funny, you know. So many people will sight in the rifle, but uh, not get to know their their, their shotgun, um, mm-hmm. and and just trust, you know, what what ammunition uh, people tell them, and not that they're saying anything divisive, but but you know, my point was, you know, it is faster. Better, you know, do I do I is that the bottom line is that going to pattern? So, what I did, uh, I was loading ballistics uh, or uh, uh, bismuth uh, from uh, recipes from ballistic products, and um, I basically had a, a fast one, uh, you know, over 1500 feet per second, and, and one that was uh, around 1200. Um, and when I patterned it at 40 yards, and I did some other yards. Um, It was. It was quite. It it did something I I, had been aware of for a while. The the slightly slower um, pellet speed gives a better pattern, uh, at least for for my guns. Uh, In fact, (laughs) the higher speed ones, it 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 was dismal. um, uh, At least in my my um, my tests. So, whatever it is, you know, whatever your gun gun is, you you you're you're sending hundreds of little hard projectiles down a, a metal pipe, there's going to be all kinds of things going on. And most of the time, it's going to hit what you're shooting at. But you you want to have, if you can have confidence of having a nice, you know, a good point of, of, of aim, a uh, good point of impact, and a nice even cloud, well, that's one less thing you have to worry about. So Absolutely. You
0: know. No, that's great. I mean, you said here, in my testing, the fast load essentially blew out pattern for lack of a better adjective resulting in either erratic and or dispersed low pellet hits patterning your gun and adjusting your loading is key to effective shotgunning yeah i mean that's that's spot on i mean it's so good that you understand your your gun you understand the shot you're using and you're confident there's so much to be said about confidence in shotgunning but it's also in life, everything in life. As soon as you miss, you, you lose confidence. You start thinking, what am I doing wrong here? What have I done? The best shotgunners are the people that don't think about it. They just do it. You just yeah. pull up and you you pull the trigger and you're confident in what you're doing.
1: The best well, sure. way to
0: gain confidence is to practice. You yeah, know? yeah. Practice
1: yeah no no know, know your equipment you know like they used to say beware of the the person with one gun because you know, because usually they know their 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 gun amazingly well um but yeah you are shooting you're shooting you know those pellets are going out at over the speed of sound at twelve hundred feet per second you know you want that cloud going out and you you have more time you know that that bird is even if it's reaching 30, 40 miles per hour, is only going 60 feet per second. Those pellets are going to get there. So send out a nice cloud. You know, if, if you have it, if, if you can, if you're not too excited, you know, take a breath. And then, uh, well, however you, you get on a bird, swing through or get a sustained lead, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and practice that, sure, sure.
0: I miss a lot. And when I oh, miss, it's yeah. almost always because I rushed a shot. Almost always, I rush the shot. I pulled up quick. I thought, it's dead. I'm taking it down. Boom. Shoot. Probably behind it, and bird's gone. And my second Hail Mary is is a miss, and then I'm in my head. And it's most likely because I rushed the shot. Let's keep moving forward here. Um, Some animal dangers you touched on. Avoiding snakes in the field. You just tried to avoid the hottest hours of the day. That's Overall, that's good advice. But I will say this. In an episode that we filmed on the Fort Pier National Grasslands in South Dakota a few years ago, uh, the early season, um, I even had viewers recently that have been watching it send in about not going out when it was hot. I talked right beforehand in that episode, I touched on what the forecast was supposed to be that day. We went out early in the morning to avoid the heat and still ran into a snake. So I just want people to to be aware that even if you go early, yes, you're going to uh, maybe um, help your chances of not running into a snake if it's cool, but it was 50 degrees that morning. Oh. Most bird hunters would say that's a good temperature early season to get out there after sharp tails. We still ran into a snake. The dog still got struck. So it's not a guarantee that if you go early, you're going to avoid any snake encounters. It's just going to lower your chances probably, not yeah eliminate them um porcupines yes i can't tell you how many times i've pulled quills out that pliers a hemostat whatever it is that you need to bring bring it it is important to have that out there you your dog will get over it most likely uh but check inside the mouth it's amazing how far back those quills can go in a dog's mouth not just on the outside but inside their mouth so be prepared and look in there for any little bit of quills that might um have gone in your dog's mouth those can over time you know cause issues if you don't get them all out carry more water again water 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 if you can cool your dogs down only hunt during the cool hours coolest part of the days this early season that is is crucial um this is something that i thought was interesting you you had a location section mike and you talk about using onyx and and how it has gotten you really dialed in on specific areas. But here's, I I highlighted this. Podcasts and other advice often encourages reaching out to professionals in the area you plan to visit, example, outfitters, biologists, land managers, et cetera. My experience, email is not effective. Even if the message is polite and short, I had no email replies in preparation for this trip. And I'm not faulting anyone here. Typing takes time and everyone is busy. Talking by phone is highly successful informative and typically friendly and enjoyable. And you can pick up information on items beyond the primary questions that motivated the call. Not one email response, huh? No, I, you
1: know, yeah, you know, I started with a few outfitters. I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll get a, a day with a professional and kind of learn the land, um, email and you read the website. Oh, you email us in advance. Uh, nothing. And then, um, uh, I tried a few biologists and and just so you know, I wasn't peppering all these poor people with a thousand questions, but you know, uh, just a a few things. So anyway, whatever whatever you're asking for me, I'm just saying email isn't, you know, wasn't effective. To be fair, it's hunting season. These folks are out doing stuff. I had started, you know, in in mid summer, uh, but uh, that's my experience. getting someone on the phone. Well, you know, people have cell phones. They're they're very good. Uh, again, I, I don't recommend just calling up about every little shoelace, you know, and, and so forth, but, um, you know, um, yeah. You know, you ask somebody about, well, how's this BMA works? And there's a few where you had to get permission on one BMA to go to the second BMA to go to the third. <laughs> you know, I was like, Hey, what's going on here? And they would, you know, people would talk about that. Uh, and a lot of times they, they would add a few other things you go, like, Oh, good to know. So that worked. Uh, you know, I, I say, be respectful, you know, which I am sure, you know, most, most all hunters are, but um, that worked for me better is to just, get on the phone dial the number that's on whatever you're looking at and chances are someone will get back to you you know and, and be selective about the you know what you're what you're asking and you'll probably have good results.
0: Yeah. Talking on the phone is always the way to go. If you can do it, always do it. Honestly, it's the way to go. And even if it's landowners, if you somehow track down a landowner's phone number, they might be driving from one field to another during harvest season, whatever it might be. Obviously being polite is huge, thanking them. But it's amazing that when you catch them and even leaving a message, I'm amazed at how many times they call back. Yeah, I You know, it's crazy. You could write a letter to somebody and they'll write a letter back. It's happened. It, <laughs> there's something about people that live out in the West. They're just generous, nice, caring people and they respond. And it's so great. And I just hope and pray that if you get access to their land, that you treat it well and that you thank them and go above and beyond for the next time you go back, but also anybody else. That should do the same. Touch on the block management. There are two types, type A and type B, or type 1 yeah. and type 2. One is written permission from the landowner. The other one is not written. So verifying which one it is is important before you go out there on them. Let's go to ethics. Uh, he wrote here quite a bit, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it. It's time to wrap up this essay. There is another trip to organize, but a few thoughts on ethics, since I do think it is important, yet provides fodder for much discussion and confusion. My thoughts briefly. Social media, including podcasts, are changing hunting, as evident in summaries like these. The R3 and motivation, and motivation by hunt company promotions should be evaluated. Uh, example, motivation to promote. If in doubt, fall back to fact-based education, which is becoming more and more rare and not emphasized enough. R3? Well, nobody recruited me or most people I know to hunt or to learn. We showed an interest and figured it out. The idea of a dying culture is actually a changing culture and there is much good in the changes as well as many dangers. If somebody wants to learn to hunt, there's plenty of information and people to learn from. Just ask. You also talked as you went on here about um, just really a, a deeper discussion, like in where the hunting world is today versus what land is available and is it really dying or is the change just a result of access to land and space do you want to elaborate on that at all
1: well a, a, a little bit i i mean it's it's controversial uh uh about the decline in hunters uh you, you hear all the time there's less and less hunters and you know kind of the paradox is you know you 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 go to hunt and there's you know a, a lot of vehicles and hunters out there, so you know I started thinking about it a little bit, trying to again, trying to get my hands on on the data, uh, uh to you know to, to know what you're talking about, but um, it, it might might be that there, there's possibly you know le- less hunters, that's possible, but as we know a lot of the habitat and actual ground to, to cover is in question and oftentimes declining. Uh, some of the policies lately uh, about wetlands and so forth are, are not looking very good. So it it could be a question really of density. And anyway, and that relates to, let's just say it's, we have the, you know, uh, Know, X amount of hunters on, on on land, and we feel crowded. You know, the, the, there's the the question of the quality of experience. So that that's what I was thinking of. I, I really would like to get uh, hands-on uh, data and, and think about this. So when these discussions come up, uh, I, I it can be independent of motivation to uh, you know just promote hunting for perhaps you know economic reasons. That was, you know, I, I guess I was getting on in the <laughs> essay and was rambling yeah. a bit, but that that's where I was thinking about that. Um, th- th- there's good, you know, there's a lot of good people talking about that. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, Montana now, I just learned has a, a hunter for access program, I, I'm kind of interested, you know, in, in, the, the attitude, you know, trying to give back to these people, these ranchers who are so generous, and and doing that maybe the more lands will open up, and this density thing uh, might change around. Uh, education, I think, is uh, informed education is, is is a good thing to continue.
0: I think it's important too. You talked about um, you know uh, Montana BMA Appreciation Days, uh, Big Sky Upland Bird Association that uh you know you helped out with as well or opportunities and i think the the point here is if there are opportunities in your area to seek out and to be a part of it goes a long way if everyone does a little we can achieve a lot I and mean, that's that goes for everything in life right
1: yeah, um, yeah yeah give back you know when you can and if you can
0: mm-hmm. so you you continued on here a little bit more but i think let's wrap this up here The three, the three week adventure was a learning experience for you. And you, I think you said it was something in the top 10 in your life and you went by yourself. It was a solo trip with you and your two dogs. Um, biggest takeaway for you, were you glad that you did it? Do you wish you would have stayed longer? Um, you know, wish you'd have done it earlier in life. What, what can you say to listeners that are listening right now about your experience?
1: Okay. Uh, Well, you know, you don't want to go down the road too much about, you know, I I wish I would have done this. I mean, you know, that that can get you in to kind of a melancholy mood. But I I would say if you have, if you've been thinking about uh, an experience like that, do it. Um, Going with others is a good idea. Uh, if nothing else from safety standpoint stories, having fun, but, uh, going by yourself, uh, you probably have a few less arguments and agree <laughs> on things more or less a little bit better. Um, but, uh, as far as longer, I, I, you know, I, I felt we really hit a good pocket. Now it was a, uh, I, you know, a lot of drought, uh, but you know on the, on the flip side, it was pretty good. We were all working, and it's it's hard to get away from from obligations. But yeah, I was glad I, I went. I, I'm I'm working on on heading again, and uh, I've since I first went to Montana, I, I I really fell in love with Eastern Montana. So uh, all, all those are good, um, but yeah, you know th- think if you're going you know, if you're going with someone who knows what they're doing, (laughs) that's great. Do that. But um, if you're, you're just thinking about it, you know, think through some scenarios, ask a few questions and, um, and then uh, yeah, hit the road. You know, there's always surprises on the road, but oh hell, you'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No kidding. I, I think, you know, like, honestly, I, I've got a young family and I'm on the road a lot as it is, you know, for this TV show. And I, I'm blessed. I get it. I, I, I know I am very fortunate to be able to spend this time and, and visit these places and hunt with these people. I will say that I long for an opportunity to go on a solo trip just myself because I think there's just a peacefulness to it. I, I can't imagine how amazing it would be to just be totally quiet, maybe not have cell service, you know, and you're sitting under the stars and you get to wake up. And you make a cup of coffee out there and you go for a walk to see you and your dog and you're not talking to anybody, but you're just taking it in and you get to come back and eat that food. I mean, there's something primal about that, but also just peaceful, enriching, like fill your soul with an adventure like that. The unknown should be part of the fun in my experience. That's what I think would be so great. I don't know what I'm going to find out until I get there and that's okay that should be okay because when you leave at the end, you're going to be like, wow, that was, that was something special. And if the weather sucks, that's part of it. Like that's, that's all part of the experience. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be perfect because if it is, then you haven't had to overcome adversity to succeed. And that's the fun.
1: Well, you're right. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, As we're winding up, I, I have to say, uh, the ranchers are out there that let me on their land, um, I, you know, uh, thanks for that. And uh, I I don't know the first thing about the hardships and the, the happiness of running a ranch, but, you know, for a day, you know, letting me on there, uh, you know, the, the the freedom and sense of being alive and walking across uh, the big sky country, um, you know, that, that about does it all. So th- thanks for that.
0: You found El Dorado.
1: Well, not the bird El Dorado in a way. I mean, we had a lot of bird fun. I, you know, we, the sky wasn't black with birds where I went, but there was enough. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I found an El Dorado. I might go looking for the, you know, for the bird El Dorado again this year. But I'll be happy if uh, uh, we 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 do uh, have a as good, as, uh, nearly as good as a trip as we did uh, last year.
0: I hope you have a great hunting season this year. Thanks for taking the time to write the story, to break down everything that you learned and for taking the time to join us on this show to share your adventure with myself and our listeners. We sure appreciate it. Good luck in the field. Stay safe out there. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Flush Podcast.